Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're starting the third of four chapters. I'm going to read today verses 1 through 7. We've got 35 minutes, and I think the Lord will allow us to do it in that time. Philippians 3, chapters 1 through 7. It reads like this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. The title of today's message is Open Eyes and Open Hands. Heavenly Father, open your word and our hearts to receive. Change us. Amen. Amen. The big idea today for this message is um, the gospel, this gospel, our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is an invitation to clarity and to charity, to understanding and to sacrifice. That is what the gospel invites us to, to see and to give. And I'm going to share with you three points today. We're going to talk about who to watch out for in your life. I'm going to talk about what to watch out for in yourself. And I'm going to talk about who to look for in everything. Shortcut, that's Jesus. (laughs) But before we do that, I, I want to kind of address something that you may have been sensing over the last several weeks. Last week, you heard me preach about service, right? Again. I preach a lot about service. Have you noticed that? And I sense some fatigue in you when I talk about service, right? Sometimes I can see that you're like, for real, this is like the ninth time we've talked about joining a service team. And I get it. In fact, if I look back through the text of Philippians, I I see repetition. There's actually a pattern here in the book. Paul bounces back and forth between two different topics of conversation. He, he, He talks about personal and missional. He says, let's talk about what the gospel means in you, and then let's talk about what the gospel means through you. And then he goes back. Now, again, let's talk about what the gospel means in you, and then let's put some skin on it, and let's talk about what the gospel means through you. He does this personal in Philippians 1, verses 3 through 10. Then he does missional in 12 through 18. He does personal again in verse 27. He does missional at the beginning of chapter 2. And then when Pastor Rob was here, he talked about being lights in the world. And that again was personal. And then, and then we talked about Timothy and Epaphroditus. Personal, good sons. Missional, good servants. And Paul, before he starts this next phase of the letter... I think that he senses the same fatigue over the repetition in the audience that he's teaching. Those that he's writing, even though he's not there and he's not present, I imagine in my mind's eye that in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit that Paul possesses as he writes, he says, I bet you're getting a little bored now. So he starts 
chapter 3 by saying, finally, my brothers, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you the exact same things, no trouble to me, but safe for you. Oh, we can't miss this. I think this might be the whole message today. We'll see what he does. To share with you teachings over and over again about service harms the preacher in no way. In fact, I don't get bored preaching about it. I get blessed every time the Lord speaks. But some of us do get bored by hearing the same thing. And Paul says, it's important that you hear the same thing. Because this is not a a matter of whether or not you like what you hear or get comfortable with what you hear. It's a matter of safety for your soul. You might ask yourself, why do we talk about the same things over again? Ready for the hard answer? We're going to start hard. Ready? Because you don't get it yet. Right? If we got everything the Lord taught, it would be one lesson at a time, all done. He'd never mention unity over and over and over again. He'd never mention service over and over again. We would never have to do an offering in church. Some of you are like, yes, Lord. We wouldn't have to if we all got it the first time. But the truth is, we don't get it. So let me put some skin on this. Let me make it even a little bit harder. How many times have you heard me say, serve in church, but you don't yet serve in church? How many times have you heard me say, you got to give and you still have not given? How many times have you heard me say, it's time to walk away from those people and those things and those vices? And you've said, yep, someday. But if nothing changes, then nothing changes. And so God, because he's so good, he's like, let's do it again. And then you come to church and he's like, let's do it again. So here's your challenge. Ask yourself if you're hearing something over and over again. Are you? Guess what? That's what the Lord is trying to fix in you. That's it. Rest assured, as soon as you become obedient in something, suddenly he gets quiet on that thing. Why? Because you got it. Finally, Paul says, it's no harm to me. I'll just keep telling you what he tells me to tell you. Will you hear it? And then he jumps into the meat of this, and he says, so let's get personal. First thing he wants to do in this part of the conversation is to challenge you to have open eyes. Points one and point two will be about having open eyes. And the first part is, here's who you need to watch out for in your life. Here's, to look, here's who to look out for, okay? Paul writes right here in verses three or two. He says, and I love this because it's so hardcore. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So let's, let's unpack that for a second. Paul is combating in this moment, in this church, an instance of false teaching that has crept in. Christian scholars call a group of people that has begun to creep into this church and several of the other churches that are teaching the gospel, pure and unadulterated, they're teaching something different. He, many Christians call these, this group the Judaizers. 
And what they are is a group of Jewish Christians who don't like the idea that Paul is preaching the gospel of Jesus to Gentiles. And they're believing that it's not just Jesus who saves you, but it is important that Gentiles come under the law of Judaism and then accept Jesus and then they'll be saved. So it's a nuanced false teaching because all false teaching is pretty nuanced. It sounds like Jesus, but it's just a, just a little off. And so in this church, in this moment, Paul is walking in to combat this specific teaching so that this church doesn't get derailed ever so slightly, but end up way off course in the end. But the beauty here of the gospel of this text, the Bible, is that it's living and active. And so while I haven't met any Judaizers yet in our church, there are some common characteristics that define this group of people that Paul is preaching and warning against that you will find common in some people in your life who, even though they mean well, are derailing your purpose and walking you away from the Lord. So he says, watch out for the dogs. Now, it's important that we understand what dogs are in this time because he ain't talking about my dog. <laughs> dogs in this day and age are different from our dogs. Let me tell you about my dog. My dog requires four meals a day, hand-cooked and mixed. He likes his water at about 48 degrees, okay? His meals are a very expensive bag along with freshly crock-potted chicken and wonderful rice, and it's a blend, and, and he waits for it to cool. He blows it off. He wafts it. <laughs> Our dog uh, gets hives if he gets nervous. <laughs> he gets the hiccups if he gets scared. And he sleeps in our bed with his head on his own pillow. Paul is not talking about my dog. You have a dog like this. Don't judge me. I know, you, I know your dog got some weird things, right? Paul is talking about the concept of dogs in this day and age, which is to say, watch out for the ceremonially unclean. Watch out for the scavengers. Watch out for those who just bark, bark, bark. We might define dogs both then and now as animals that live habitually and destructively. You ever notice how a dog can eat the exact same thing? A dog likes a walk at the exact same time. And if left to their own devices in the backyard, there will be no grass or shrubbery left. Over time, they will dig a million holes. Paul is writing in this moment to say there are a group of people in your life right now whose life is marked by habit and destruction and they bark about it all the time. What I mean is, they ask you, why don't you act like you used to act? Or they say things like, um, you're, what's so different about you now? Or they, um, they don't like when you change for the better. You ever meet some people like that and you start getting good, like getting better, getting saved, like getting really refined, and they get all frustrated with that? Isn't that strange? Because sometimes it's the same people who criticized you when you were down that when you stand up, they're like, nah, get back down. Do you know what I'm saying? And the reason for that is because when you change, it challenges other people to understand that they too can change. 
And Paul's writing specifically about a group of Judaizers that he calls dogs because he says what they say matters for nothing. It's just bark, bark, bark. But what he's really saying is be mindful of people who are trying to lead you down a pattern of habitual behavior where you just do what you've always done forever and ever and you do not change. But if you read this gospel, then you know that this gospel is all about change. Be ye transformed by the renewing of the mind. Paul is writing in this moment and saying, the moment someone says, you seem different, don't change, he says, watch out for the dogs. Don't call them dogs. But be mindful of those people who are trying to call you back into habitual behavior because what they're really doing is trying to call you back into the same old cycle of destructive behavior that broke you and that the enemy wants to use to break you again. He goes on, he says, watch out for the dogs and watch out for the evildoers. I would define this as those who seek sin and who celebrate it. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 lists the things that God hates. It is those who live and love for sinful things. I don't mean bad people. I mean normal people who love bad things. Like they love foul language. They love lust. They love danger and risk. And you're like, well, I don't know anybody who loves danger. Yeah, but you know a ton of people who celebrate living unrighteously. It's in your everyday conversations. When you say things like, I'm waiting for marriage, and they're like, you're nuts. Or you say things like, I'm giving up on that. And they're like, what are you talking about? Have you become a religious nut? Short, short answer is totally. Yes, I have. <laughs> I love it. There are people in your life right now who are, who, are, who, are, who are really struggling with the fact that you've begun to celebrate righteousness. And the more that you begin to celebrate righteousness, the more they begin to push back and want you to come back to celebrate sinfulness. But God calls habitual sin lawlessness. And Proverbs tells us he hates that. Paul says, watch out for the evildoers. Psalm 37 says, um, fret not. Anyone who identifies themselves with sin will become like sin and fade away. I think it's important that we understand the weight of sin in our life and understand the importance of separating ourselves from environment and people who would call us back into sin over and over again. But I don't want you to be fearful that you're missing out. In the gospel, there is no FOMO. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, in the beginning days of your transformation, you'll wonder if the club is as amazing as it looks on TikTok. (laughs) It ain't. And you wake up every morning with a clear mind and a clear head. And you still have your credit card, right? Where are we? <laughs> Were we at? <laughs> when did we go there? <laughs> You've done that, right? I don't remember being at the horse track. You go through a few days like that, and you're like, no, nah, I'm not missing out on anything. And, and the Bible tells you this, rest assured Living a life that is consumed by sin amounts to nothing and fades away to nothing. But he's called you to eternal life. And so when you take your hands 
of lawlessness. And you take your hands off sin. You take your hands off habitual living and you put your hands to the things of the Lord. Well, then you begin to build a legacy for yourself and for your children's children. The Bible says that he prepares for you a place. He builds a mansion for you. There is a reward in heaven. And forever and ever you get to stand in his glory and see the sun at his right hand and worship him forever and ever. And there is no fading away there. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. And then the last one, and watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now we have to be super clear here because this gets complicated. Let me address something actually pretty tender for a moment, which is this is not talking about people who suffer from mental illness that is self-destructive. That is not this. If you ever remember the story of the man who's filled with the legion of demons, he too was a cutter. This is not a conversation about avoiding people who suffer or hurt themselves. If you see Jesus in that moment, he runs to that man, to treat that man, to love that man, to change that man. This is a conversation about people for whom religion, hear me clearly, religion and faith is all about the flesh. Let me put it in clear terms for you. Remember, he's talking about the Judaizers, right? He's talking about this group of Jewish teachers who want people before they see Jesus to come under Jewish law, which for them means circumcision. What they're really teaching is no matter what your age is, fellas, ready? You need to get circumcised before you can say yes to Jesus. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> There's always one honest guy in the group. <laughs> no, I'm not going to heaven then. <laughs> and Paul equates it in this moment to say, teaching like that makes this faith thing a flesh thing. And that's not the God thing that Jesus came to bring. That's why he goes on. He says, for we are the circumcision." He says, watch out for those who mutilate the flesh, who equate their religion to matters of the flesh. You're asking yourself, I yet don't know anybody who's told me in order to be a Christian, I need to bloodlet or do anything like that. Don't worry, I want you to understand this in common everyday terms. There is a whole body of believers today who love Jesus, who also prepare to tell you that when... Um, there's a curse on our church today the global church that says we know if you're Christian by if you look successful. We, we can prove your salvation by if you got it all together. And that curse has kept so many of us from coming to the throne of grace because we walked into a church and everybody was in a suit and tie and it was all them BMWs and Mercedes Benz in the, in the parking lot. And we were like, well, I'm doomed. <laughs> There's a curse that the enemy has used to fool us, to think that you have no eternal place if your temporal place isn't perfect. And we perpetuated the stereotype from the pulpit by celebrating our biggest givers. Oh, I'm going to beat up on me for a second. Those of us preachers, we love big givers. Did you know that? Oh, we love them. We have special dinners for them, and we call it the business leaders in the community. And many of us preachers get consumed by what you can give to us that we call you holier than everyone else, especially those who are struggling to give. And that those of us who are struggling to give wonder if we're ever going to make it out. That's what religion 
based on flesh looks like. And Paul says, watch out for that. That is going to lead us to death. Let me tell you, if you came here to church today and you got it all together, oh, stick around, I could use your help. (laughs) But if you came here today and your life was a wreck, Welcome home. You belong here. And we will walk with you forever. And I don't care, ready, if your life gets worse. Because if you love Jesus, it's going to get worse. We don't care what you look like or where you come from, how much money you make, whether you have a job or not. I don't care if you have shoes on your feet. We love you because he loves you. Because this faith of ours isn't about your flesh, what you wear, what you drive, or what you do. It's about he who lives in you. Amen? Who to watch out for? Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, base their their faith on flesh. Now, once you've done this, because it's important as Christians to take a good picture of the landscape around your life, but please don't be the kind of Christian who's always looking at the faults in others. Amen? Paul transitions the conversation to say, now here's what's to look for in you. Here's who to look for, and now here's what to look for. And he transitions this part of the conversation in verses 3 through 6, talking about the importance of examining our self, self-focus, self-interest, and really the tendency to fall into narcissism. Verse 3, it reads like this. For we are the circumcision. We worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, now here's the deal. I myself have quite a lot of reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. And then Paul begins to list his pedigree. He says, circumcised on the eighth day, perfect adherence to the Judaic law from birth. He says, I'm from the people of Israel, one of his chosen. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. You should know Benjamin and Joseph were Israel's favored sons. They came from his first choice wife, Rachel. The tribe of Benjamin has a line of being favored by God. The tribe of Benjamin is the one from whom the first king, Saul, came. The tribe of Benjamin was the only tribe that stood by the tribe of Judah and King David when he was betrayed by Absalom and when the kingdoms were divided. When he says, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, what he's saying is, I'm not just a Hebrew, I'm the Hebrew. He says, Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, as to the law, I write the law. As to zeal, I was the biggest persecutor of the church. This church, I killed almost all of them before it started. I was there when they stoned Stephen. I gave the green light. He goes on and he says, as to righteousness, perfect. He's writing in this moment about, well, good things. He's saying, I come from good stock. I come from a good family. I have never messed up. (laughs) How many of you are like, what? (laughs) Now, here's the thing. Interesting story about our church is we we do, you know, our, our slogan is beacon, built with broken pieces. 
And I've told you this before, but if you haven't heard it, when I first got the vision for this church and I started to share it with, with our board and other leaders and men who were much wiser than me in the church world, and I said, well, it's going to be called Beacon. <laughs> and it's going to be built with broken pieces. And they were like, no, 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 no. And I was like, why? And they're like, if you say you welcome broken people, you're only going to get broken people. And I was like, I don't know what you're saying. Yes. Isn't everybody broken? And the wisdom was this. Well, yeah, but you want some people who don't think they're broken so they can help you. And I was like, ugh. Have you ever met somebody who's totally broken and doesn't think they're broken? I rest my case. I do not want those people. If that's you, I love you. Stick around. You'll be fine. But that's not who we're going after. We don't want people who love to give their list of pedigree, who say, I came from the most Christian of Christian families. My daddy's 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 daddy was a pastor. I've never sinned. I'm perfect. You see how those are good things, but they don't sit well with you, do they? You kind of feel like, mm. Paul in this moment is saying, there is a tendency for us as believers to trust in us once we become believers. Let me show it to you like this. Do you remember, and maybe today is going to be this day for you, do you remember the day where you finally came to the end of yourself and you realized you were done? Like you'd done everything you could to hold it together. You faked it. You never made it. Everything had fallen apart and you were finally at that place of what we call the gift of desperation. We had nothing in your hands and so all you did was lift them up to heaven and you said, help me. Do you remember that moment of humility? Well, all you wanted was Jesus and no matter how he gave himself to you, that was absolutely perfect for you. Now fast forward three months, six months, one year and you've become Christian. And you start to tout your Christianity. There is a tendency for many of us believers to become not only comfortable in our faith, but also confident in our faith, not the one in whom we have faith. We love to tout what we're able to do. People say, tell me about church. And you say what you do at church. Well, I lead the worship team. Right? Paul's talking about in this moment, he's saying it's not uncommon for all of us to have confidence in this flesh. And if any of you has confidence, Paul breaks it down and he says, and if you got confidence, I got way more confidence than you. By all manly standards, I'm perfect. And he's trying to challenge us in this moment to rethink the way we think about self. In verse three, he says, we're the circumcision, those of us who worship the spirit of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. He's trying to break us away from ritual, circumcision and the practice thereof. That was a ritual. And Paul says, when Jesus comes, ritual gets to die because this is no longer about ritual. It's about relationship. What he says essentially in that moment is religion without relationship is dead ritual. You're just practicing and it matters for nothing. So please don't put confidence in the things that you do. Put confidence in the one who does them 
through you. Verse 4, he says, let's talk about this self-confidence for a second. I need you to understand that no matter how good you think you are, there will always be somebody better than you. You might show up to this church and be like, you all don't know, I got a master's in divinity. I have 20 years of serving in this church. I can preach the gospel upside down and inside out. I can lead the kids ministry. I can sing like an angel. I can stack chairs. I can drive the trailer. I am going to be the pastor. But if you don't fit in this culture, guess what you get to be? A congregant. Look, who we are matters more. And who you are, who he is matters more than who you are. Self-confidence is dangerous. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more you know, oh, no, 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 not much good in here. Paul says he came to seek and save sinners of which I'm the worst. Same guy. He says, I'm blameless, but I'm the worst. Because when he measures himself by the law, when he compares himself to others, he's blameless. Oh, but when he compares himself to the king, and when he stands in comparison to Jesus, he says, I am the worst of sinners. And that is our challenge as believers, is that so many of us, we try to do this thing. We try to figure out where we fit on the scale of who's most saved, most Christian, most holy, most welcome, most perfect, most here. And Paul says, why are you spending so much time comparing yourself with other believers? We're all broken. We're all destined for hell. Lest there be a Jesus who save us. The only comparison is to stand in front of the glorious grace and powerful presence of Jesus and say, consume me like a fire, God. And we've been looking at each other and missing Jesus. You tell me, Pastor, I just feel so far from him. He's not far. He's right here. And you've been looking at the wrong things, having the wrong conversations, focusing your eyes on the wrong self. He says religion is dead. Self-confidence is dead. Verse 5 and 6, pedigree amounts for nothing. The gospel would say it like this. Your history does not dictate your destiny. I don't care who you are. And guess what? Neither does Jesus. And if you read this Bible, he's like a super big fan of losers. I should have said that more holy. He is a redeemer of people and no respecter of man. (laughs) But you know, I want to say it how I feel it. Like he loves the underdog. Okay. He, He loves the underdog. He loves the loser. And he loves it when you fail again because that's when you're kind of in the right place. And if you walked in here today and you're like, I got nothing in the tank, I'm doomed. You're in the best place you've ever been in your whole life. I got a son who's fighting for a starting position on his high school football team. (laughs) Of course we're gonna talk about my sons. (laughs) You know Canaan. He's short. He's a Barthlow, we're all short. But he's a quarterback. And to be a quarterback, when you get older, you got to be tall and fast. We're not fast either. 
And every single season, Canaan has showed up to play football, and the next quarterback is like, this. oh my gosh, look at the size of this kid. And it's been such a challenge for us. It was a challenge for Kalel when he joined high school football. It was a challenge for me as a kid to stand in a room. Maybe it's been a challenge for you, the exact same thing, to walk into a room and you literally feel like you're surrounded by giants and everyone has it together. And your inclination is to do this. Have you done that before? Have you just walked in and you're like, it's going to be my day. It's not my day. (laughs) And you've shrunk back. That is when God does his best work. I want to tell you that God does it on purpose where he puts you in rooms. What? Guess what? Ready? You don't belong. You don't belong. You don't belong in those rooms. And God has put you in those rooms because you don't belong. Yet. And you, you get to be in those rooms because by yourself, you can't stay in those rooms. But the Bible says that your gifting will make room and that the, the transformation of your spirit keeps you in the room. God loves the underdogs. And if you live your life as an underdog, good. But be mindful that if you live your life as someone who doesn't root for underdogs and thinks yourself better, God calls that pride and he fights it. Pride is the only sin that the Bible says that God opposes. It says he actively engages against, amen? Self-confidence is dead. Let me take you to the final point. We have two minutes left in church, but I have to hit this because I need you to hear this. Paul wraps up the whole conversation in verse 7, and he says this, whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. What he's trying to do in this moment is to say, after you've looked at who to watch out for, and after you've looked inward at what to look for in yourself, I need you to get real clear on who you're focusing on, which is Jesus, always Jesus, and only Jesus. He says, we look out, we look in, and then naturally we should be looking up. And I love that the apostle here in this last sentence of this section, and I've broke it. Lots of people teach all the way through verse 11 here, but I've broke it because I think this is the point we have to land at before we can learn the next section in verse 8, what he's going to say. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss. He becomes in one sentence an accountant of his own life. He sets the ledger out and he looks at all of the bills, the assets and liabilities, what's coming in and what's going out. And he takes a clear stock of who he is and what the world has had to offer him. And understand that what he just listed as his self-confidence, the things that he could hold confidence in, they're not bad things. They're good things. They're just not God things. And he says, and I look at it and, and, and the world calls it gain. The tradition and the religion from which I come from calls it gain. The tradition and religion that most of us come from, the American work ethic, what this world would call gain for us, money, power, prestige, and all of the beautiful trappings therein, Paul might challenge you and I to see clearly, not as the world sees them, as money, power, and prestige, but as greed, pride, and vainglory. When the world says the litmus test on whether you won is if you made the money, if you have the power, and people speak well on your name, the Lord would say that's dangerous territory for you to be living in. Paul does not say all that I gained when measured against Christ. Oh, gosh, we got to see this. 
if he was to use a ledger, a balance, the scale, as it were, and place Jesus on one side and take all that he had gained, all that he had gained and heaped it up on this side. He is not saying that when measured against each other, Jesus is still more. He's not saying that. He's saying, all that I gained, I counted as a loss, as a deficit, as a detriment, as a hindrance. He's not measuring the two. He's saying the curse of good things, of self-confidence, of what the world has given me is that it has held me back from what God can give me. He's saying if I were to stay under the law, blameless, then under grace, it would have never been sufficient. Gosh, I gotta find a way to do this. He's saying if I had just stayed of Hebrew, of Hebrews, I would have never been a son of the most high. If he said, if I identified myself as from the tribe of Benjamin, I would have never been co-heir with the king. He says, if I stayed the way I was, measuring myself with what the world had given me with wealth and comfort and confidence in this, then I would have missed the only thing worth placing my confidence in and I would be doomed. And the warning to you today, the warning to us as believers is if you're holding on to the world, you might have forsaken your God. It is that important, that powerful. There is no way for you to hold on to wealth and his unchanging hand. Jesus calls that being lukewarm. Paul refers to it as being tossed by the winds and the waves. It's either just Jesus or just death. Whatever gain, I count it now as loss. Those were wasted, fleeting, and they were killing me. And I just want Jesus now. So he says, so I, so I just give it all to him. You ever have one of those prayers where you're like, I don't have anything to give you, but it's all yours. I have a thousand tears. Is that enough? I have frustration and heartache and heartbreak. That's all I have to give to you. And Jesus, I want to tell you today, he's always welcoming that kind of an offering. So here's your challenge, church. The gospel is an invitation to open eyes and open hands. And so many of us have spent so much time holding on to what the Lord might give us one day but we've really just been going after what the world has given us you see you know the verse seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and then all these things will be added unto you most of us have just jumped right over the first one and said all the things and he said no 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 go back start at the beginning so here's our prayer today church I want to ask you What have you gained that Jesus counts as loss? What do you hold on to that he wants you to let go of? Today's the day. Today's the day.
Don't wait another day. Don't do it tomorrow. It might not be. Would you bow your head? Heavenly Father, we love you. God, we thank you. Thank you that your word is so clear on how to open our eyes and see the world clearly like you see it. God, we thank you that your word is so clear on how to look at ourselves and be mindful of the parts of us that you wish to change from the inside out. God, give us the courage to stand firm on your word. Give us the humility to be transformed by that word. And God, now today, open our eyes to see what's in our open hands. Where does our confidence lie? Is it in you? Or is it in the world? God, if it's in the world, we want to give it back. Right now, in Jesus' name, we want to give it back. I want to give it back right now because if it means that it holds me back from you, well, I'm unwilling to live a life like that. I don't want to be wealthy, but be without you. I don't want to be successful and miss the opportunity to be saved when the judgment bell rings. I don't want to have the power without the presence. I don't want the prestige if I can't praise you in spirit and truth. God, whatever it is that I've been holding on to this day that's held me back from you this day, I release it in Jesus' name. God, if you got to take it from me, then take it from me. If you got to shake up my life, then shake up my life. But break the curse of self-confidence off of me. Break the curse of holding on to the world off me. Break off that curse that has me so enamored by this world. Let it be that I just see you. I just want you. I just see you. I just want you. Make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet all over this room? Let's praise one more time. I want you to praise today differently in this moment. What are we singing now? Names Names again? Perfect. Today, names. The names of God. Let's sing it now from here. Not from here. And not from here. From here.